Welcome to the Never Stop Getting It podcast, where we take your mind out of reality and have a little fun with life. Here's your hosts, Steve Giroux, Scott Bailey, and John Osimo. All right, everybody, another installment of Never Stop Getting It podcast. Uh, today, we have a guest joining us via the Never Stop Getting It hotline. Our guest is a former WWE and WCW superstar, a five-time WCW tag team champion with four different partners, a member of the NWO, and the only wrestler that could give Big Papa Pump a run for his money physique-wise. We have none other than Buff Bagwell. How you doing, buddy? What's going on, guys? Oh. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for, for coming on and, and agreeing to speak with us. We're, we're excited. I'm excited. Um, you, you're definitely one of my favorites growing up. And, and I mean, I'm not that much younger than you, but you definitely, <laughs> <laughs> you definitely were someone that I was, I was always watching. So I'm, I'm well, excited. Let me tell you, brother. I'm, I'm telling you, this, this go around, I've noticed that I, I started telling, well, I start telling stories and I'd be talking to a table of, of, of people. And I was, as I was telling the story, I'd be talking to a certain person and I'd be like, and as I was sharing the story with them, I'd say, wait a second. I go, you weren't even born yet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as I said that, I went, wait a second. None of y'all were born yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> Imagine that. So yeah. <laughs> the, the point of the story was I was the oldest guy at the table yeah. for the first time in my life. Wow. And it will happen to you, too. It gives, yeah. <laughs> it gives you yeah. perspective, right? That's it. And, and I was always... I was always the youngest guy in the room. Yeah. I was always the youngest guy in the locker room. I was always the youngest guy in the ring. I was always the youngest guy anywhere. And all of a sudden, I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to happen. It just happens, That's bro. It. Right. it happens. That's it. Well, you're still the oldest guy in the room right now, but <laughs> I know, but but uh, not by much, not by that much. Yeah. So we're we're right not there bad. with you. We're in the same generation, even though these these two guys over here and my two brother in laws don't like to admit to it, but we're still in the same generation. So yeah, we're we're, we're exactly. gonna have a good time today. So, good, I love it. So Buff, why wrestling, bro? What happened? What, what got you into the whole wrestling racket? The wrestling thing, man, believe it or not, was nowhere, nowhere on my radar, man. Pro wrestlers, <clears throat> pro wrestlers, almost every pro wrestler I ever met wanted to be a pro wrestler as a kid. Yeah. I mean, they watched it. They dreamed about it. They wanted to be a professional wrestler. And it could not be further from the truth of what I wanted to do. Um, a pro athlete, absolutely. A pro wrestler, not even on my, not even on the, not even on my grid, not even, not even in my brain. We watched it as kids. My brothers were real big fans. I was the baby of three boys. And I remember my brothers dressing up like Dusty Rhodes, you know, he'd dress and they'd talk like Dusty Rhodes and Hey, I'm Dusty Rhodes. I'm funky like a monkey. And, and, and I remember that and it being entertaining. And I remember watching wrestling on TV. Yeah. And unfortunately, the things I would say right now are things I heard my whole career that I hated, which was things like, yeah, I've seen that on TV before and I don't really watch it that much. And you're a pro wrestler, really? So that's the kind of shit I heard as my career went on, which I hated. But it's truly the truth about me, too. And and how I was presented with this was, you know, my parents were really rich when I was growing up. I had a very, very wonderful uh wonderful childhood and my parents were filthy rich with a lumber company and so i had the corvettes and the jeeps and you know and and just the big houses and the pools and the workout room and the game rooms i mean back when arcades were the big giant machine for one donkey kong jr game right we had those big machines in our own game room in our house i had a big donkey kong and a big mrs pac-man or pac-man and and just crazy stuff like that was in our life of having money. So my senior year, I'd been 18 years old. And I remember my dad coming to us and, and we were, we were going broke. And my dad said, look, I got enough money, you know, for all three of you boys to do something, yeah. you know? So what do y'all want to do? My oldest brother picked me and he wanted a gym. So he, he bought my brother a gym and my middle brother wanted to do drywall. 
So he bought him a, a boom truck and he's going to do drywall for, for a living. And I'm 18 years old, you know? So I'm like, what do I want to do? You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I asked my dad, let me think about it. Well, I was, a, I was, a, we all were big athletes, but again, school wasn't a big deal to us. It wasn't pushed as parents. School was not pushed at all in our house. Uh, so, cause we were going to work for the lumber company, right? We were going to be, you know, we were going to be taught how to run the lumber company. So we went to school to graduate high school and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so sports were huge though. I was all County, all state in football and baseball. I was the Georgia golden glove state champion as a boxer at 12. I mean, we were, we were all athletes, super athletes, but you know, we just knew we were going to go work for the lumber yard when it was all, when the high school was over. Right. So um, so I graduated with a 1.8 grade point average, you know, <laughs> it was, yeah. it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't, it didn't matter because we were rich and we were going to stay rich with the lumber company. Right. So fast forward to my graduation in 1988 and my dad comes to us with that. And I'm like, damn, what do I want to do? So the only fast track I could do financially that I could put my hand on would have been massage therapy. And from that was been like sports massage, right. sports medicine, um, a trainer of some kind on a ballpark or ball ball team. So sports sports therapy was my goal, and because all I knew was sports. So uh, with that said, the first step to becoming anything to do with sports therapy was massage therapy, and I went to the Atlanta School of Massage. I graduated number one in my class. I was eighteen years old. And, um, I graduated it and had the number one uh, job in Atlanta. It was a job with a company called corporate sports. I was with all the athletic clubs. Um, here's a young, attractive, in shape male doing massage therapy. I was going to blow everybody's mind in the massage therapy world. Masseuse, that word was, was going away. And the new word was massage therapist. Yep. So they were really trying to clean up the massage world. Right. And so I came in at a good time, had a good look. Like I said, help, good looking kid, nice kid, well-mannered, um, just really excited about that, man. And, and I was very good at massage. And so I go into my class, I, I, grow, I go into my first job and the late, a lady walks up and she walks in the room I, and I shake her hand and all of a sudden she turns around and starts leaving. And I go, where are you going? She goes, there's no way. I'm taking my clothes off in front of you. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what? Why not? So I slowly but surely realized yep. that the women talk a big game about, man, I let that dude massage me. Absolutely. Yeah. But really the insecurity it's took over of, I mean, I literally had, I really broke, I, I broke them down to like explaining it to me. And they'd say, I may have fat on my back. I may have a bump on my back. I heard, my, my husband would kill me. Yeah. <laughs> I heard all kind of stuff. So really being an attractive male in massage therapy was absolutely the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Oh, and man. I didn't know. I wish somebody would have told me before me going to school for 10 months and graduating <laughs> this thing. So here I am at the pool one day at this at apartments. It's called Poplar Place Apartments in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I'm at the pool one day just depressed as hell because I'm realizing this massage thing is not going to be a career. And what was I going to do? Right. Well, across the pool, I see this real attractive, you know, knockout bomb bombshell and don't have any idea who she is. But as I come back from the pool that day, I noticed this knockout blonde is moving in right next door to me. And I'm like, damn, that's, I was just 18. So I'm like, damn, that's, that's ironic. Yeah. This blonde's moving in next door to me. Well, I was engaged to be married to my first wife. And so I told her about this. I tell, I used to tell her myself, so I wouldn't get in trouble. Right. So I was like, I was like, Hey, I saw this hot bond today at the pool, man. You know, just to make sure I told on myself, so I wouldn't get in trouble. And all of a sudden knocking at the door and I look, God, I go, I said, it's that hot blonde to my wife, you know, oh, and she's like, so I open the door. It's Missy Hyatt. Yep. But I don't know what Missy Hyatt. I don't know who Missy Hyatt is. I don't know what WCW is. I don't know what I don't know what pro wrestling is. I re, I mean I watch it on TV, but I don't know. Right. And she comes in and she's talking to my soon to be wife. She's like, "Oh my God, your your husband's gorgeous. He's cool. He he's got the look." And we're like, "What are you talking about?" She's like, "You're he should be a pro wrestler." 
And I said, pro wrestling? I go, those guys don't make no money. And she was like, our lowest paid guy makes $100,000 a year. Wow. wow. And I was yeah. like, wait a second. Sign now let's talk a little bit. <laughs> right. What, Sit down, what do. get a drink. Let's, let's, let's talk about this shit. Let's talk about this. So we're, we're in all the way because Mark Bagwell can back then and now I can do anything. I mean, there's nothing that wasn't in front of me that Mark Bagwell could be told. I can't do that. Right. So I'm like, Let's do it. I mean, if those boys can do it. I can do it. So she lines me up to go to school. I go to the WCW school where Buddy Lee Parker's training at down south. There wasn't no, there wasn't no power plant. There wasn't no WCW school. There was a warehouse with a guy named Jody Hamilton and Buddy Lee Parker training people. And I go down there and Kevin Nash is in the ring. And Kevin was the big badass bouncer in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I was the uh, the punk kid going to all the clubs with a fake ID. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Kevin's kicked me out of about every club in Atlanta. <laughs> so yeah. Ironic. One time he was like, God, Bagwell. He said, Bagwell, you knocked the guy out right in front of me, bro. <laughs> it's ironic, isn't it? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Full it's ironic. So yeah. So I'm seeing, I see him in the ring and the ring is a dump. The place is a dump and they're charging $3,000. And I'm like, this place, this is ridiculous. So I go home to Missy. I go, Missy, it's 3000 bucks. I ain't got $3,000. I said, and, you know, what do we do now? So she found a guy named Steve the Brawler Lawler to train me for $1,500. And, uh, and so I went to him. And everybody, the whole family's excited. I'm going to pro wrestling school. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. I'm going to be the biggest pro wrestler in the world. I'm excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this thing no problem. Everybody's pumped. We had a we had a Marcus Bagwell going to wrestling school party. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I came home and I said, I'm never going back. Really? And they were like, what? I said, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm not going back. And they were like, what happened? I, I can't explain it. It was just you hit the ropes. It hurts. You fall. It hurts. You. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. I, and I was a tough kid, man. I mean, Golden Gloves, the youngest of three boys beat up, you know, surgeries, you know, concussions, football, baseball. I've done everything, man. I wrestled. I've done everything. And this was the toughest thing I've ever done. Well, you tried boxing so, too, right? You tried boxing? I was a state champion. That's right. 80, 1982, I was 61 and one. Wow. And was the Golden Glove state champion in 1982. So I tried everything. I was a tough kid, man. But this was, this was something else, bro. And for whatever reason, I went back and the guy, Steve Lawler, he really... I must have showed him something that I've learned since then, which is with pro wrestling, man, either you got it or you don't. Mm-hmm. I literally could never run a school because I could say, get in the ring and run the ropes for me. And just by seeing a guy run the ropes, not having any idea what he's doing, if he runs the ropes pretty good, I'd be able to tell you whether or not I could even have a second class with him. Right. Because it's one of those things, you either got it or you don't. Yeah. And I must have had it because Steve Lawler, was real hard on me for two or three days. And I kept coming back. And about the third time working out with him, he said, you know, I'm going to ease up on you, man. He goes, um, he goes, you know, cause he was trying to be, he was being stiff and shooting over there and shooting with clotheslines. And I was getting beat up. Right. And I, that's how I used to get trained. You know, that's how it used to be. And he eased up on me and, and he said, you've got what it takes on this. He said, you said, you really, you really got it. You can do this. And so, they, after about four times in the in their practicing, they just threw me in the damn ring and made me the world champion as Fabulous Fabian in North Georgia Wrestling. And I learned in front of a crowd looking like an idiot for about six months. <laughs> but there could not have been there could not have been a faster track on making it in pro wrestling. A trial by fire. For me to look stupid in front of people. <laughs> and getting bears in front of people <laughs> continuously every week. It was really, it was really just the best way to get trained, man. And, and I did that. And I just got, look, I kept looking stupid. I kept cussing myself out. I can't believe I couldn't figure this out. I still couldn't figure it out. And I went to global as the handsome stranger. And I remember walking into global and I'll never forget this. This day was enormous in Buff Bagel's history and, and my history. And it was, I walked in and I walked in the dressing room and the bad guys 
and the good guys were talking in the locker room. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Oh and I said, I said, wait a second. Huh. Y'all can talk before you go out. <laughs> and they go, <laughs> and they go, they go, yeah. What do you mean? I go, I mean, y'all can go over a few things first. And they go, yeah. I go, shit, I got this. Yeah. 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 But that's not how I got trained. I mean, we would get in a ring at a sparkle skating rink and try to call a match ear to ear with dead silence in the crowd of all 12 people that's watching. Right. And you're trying to tackle, drop down. I mean, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. And to be able to go over a few things in the back, my matches went from a two to about a six or seven overnight. And I really learned a lot with that. I was able to communicate and get with a person and go over a match and just really tell a good story by, by suffering for that six or eight months of trying to call it in the ring. It really didn't help me learn how wonderful it was to be able to call a few things in the back. So I went from horrible to pretty damn good over just being able to talk a little bit to my opponents. And from that, man, I really focused in and that got me really ready for WCW. And I mean, man, from the time I first stepped in the ring, I was at WCW in about a year and a half. Really? That's fast. I mean, it may have been the fastest ever. I don't know. It was really a fast track, bro. It was fast. And I was there. I had no idea what I was doing, but I could do it all. Yeah. I didn't know the names of the moves. I didn't know what I was doing, but I could watch what they were doing and I could imitate it. Yeah. And I was able to pull it off by imitating what they did and making it look good. And I slowly and I fastly got better. Yeah. And when I got better, then I was just, I was involved and it just worked and it clicked. I was young. I had the, had the good body and, I was in shape and it just, it just took off, man. Oh, that's awesome. So who ended up being your first match? Who was it against? My first match at WC, at WCW, WCW was Rip yep. Rogers. Rip Rogers. Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. How'd yep. that go? Rip. Fantastic. We were, we, we were at global together. I was handsome stranger versus Rip Rogers um, at global. So, I knew I knew his style and he you know he knew how to get me over and I had the fisherman the fisherman suplex was my finish at the beginning. I think they called it the sprayberry suplex. Um <laughs> but, but uh my, the fisherman suplex is Kurt Henning's finish was yep. my Perfect was box. my first finish they gave me. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. That's quite the yeah. honor. Why not, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Huge. So WCW, you're in there, you're wrestling for a while. And then you made a name for yourself in the tag team world. So you ended up tagging with uh, Two Cold Scorpio. And how yep. was that? How was that run with Two Cold? It was great. It's uh, I thought it was perfect how it came about. And how that mat- how that tag team came about was as I had a match with Chris Benoit, and it was definitely my it was definitely my best match at WCW in a timeline. I'm guessing maybe a couple of matches after Rip Rogers. So they gave me a win out of the gate, of course. Right. And then of course I started getting beat every week. <laughs> so <laughs> they gave me a win every once in a while to kind of keep me alive, you know, but then that, I was a job guy for rude and yep. Steve Austin. I mean, Why anytime there's a, a job. That's an huh? honor. That's an honor right there with those right, guys. Right. Absolutely. At that Absolutely. Point, yeah. I was able to do good thing. I was able to look, I was able to make these guys look a lot better at getting wins and I, I fit, it's a kind of a bad position to be in, but at the same time, it was a, it was a good one to be in because that's, that's worth something. Right. It's worth right. something to be able to do a good job and look good for these guys. Right. And every once in a while they throw a win at me and maybe and kept me strong, but I had a real good match with Benoit, probably my best match at the beginning of my career ever. And I did all the fish out of the water moves and all those words I didn't know, but I knew how to do it. Yeah. So after the match, we come to the back and Dusty's like, he comes out, rips his headset off and he goes, Bagwell. I go, yeah. He goes, you didn't tell me you knew how to wrestle. <laughs> and I go, I said, well, shit, I, I thought you knew, man. He goes, no, he goes, I didn't know you were that good. So out of that conversation, Leon, big man Vader yep. and yep. Scorpio were big friends. And 
Vader took, looked at Dusty. He goes, you should put Scorpio and Bagel together, man. The, the black and white team and the, that would be a good tag team to put together. And so we, we liked each other and we started tagging and we started doing things that was taboo back then, yeah. which was like high flying stuff. I mean, even the slingshot over the top rope, that was taboo for WCW. Right. Right. You know, and me and Scorpio were doing flips and double drop kicks and coming off top ropes. And it was a big deal for us to do that. I mean, a monkey flip back then was high flying. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. So I did monkey flips and all that stuff. That was a big deal, you know? And so, um, but we did a lot of stuff together and it really put me on the map. And that same year, I was rookie of the year. We were tag team of the year and world tag team champions. Wow. That's How about that? That really, that really got me wow, going. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the tag team just never stopped. You moved on and you formed the American Males, right? <laughs> well, the sec second was Stars and Stripes. Oh, Stars and Stripes with the Patriots. Yeah, with the Patriots. Yes, right. yes, that's right. Two times we, you won with that. We right? won the title twice. I won the title twice was with the Patriot. And um, that came about with, you know, Scorpio got fired. Yep. And I, I was like, oh, my God, why, why would they keep me? You know, I'm going to be fired next. Yeah. Well, I got the call. I got the call that they're going to do the red, white, and blue thing, you know? So I was really excited about that. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, cool, man. We're going to do the USA, USA thing. And, but then they hired Jim Duggan as, as well. Yep. And I love the hacksaw Jim Duggan, but that means two guys doing the USA yeah. chant yeah. on the same card. Mm. So it hurt, it hurt a little bit, but it still, it still made our, our team look so much better. And our company was a lot better because of Duggan and Macho was in and the nasty boys. We're now in the company. So the Nasty Boys and me and Too Cold oh, you beat really them. did a lot of stuff together. Yeah, you beat them for the championship, right? Yeah. Beat them for the titles. We kind of went back and forth with the titles and yeah. stuff. And that was really good. Um, and then with uh, and then with and then me and started me and Patriot, we had a great run too with our stuff was with Pretty Wonderful. Oh, nice. Yes. Pretty Roma wonderful. and Orndorff. Yep, yep. And we did a lot of stuff with them. And then uh, we did a lot of stuff with, and then Booker T and Stevie Ray a lot with uh, Stars and Stripes, and and then with American Males, it was a lot, you know, a lot with um, a lot with those guys too. And and, and to, to end the Patriot thing, he went to WWF, and then the the American Males and Scotty Riggs thing was that was that was my baby. Oh really? That's where I came to them. I said, look, I said the goatees, earrings necklaces goatees and 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 chokers all that stuff man that's that's that can be baby face right. it ain't got to be a heel to have a beard it ain't got to be a heel to have earrings right. i said i can make earrings and beards and chokers i can make that cool and they didn't believe me at first and then they were like and i shaved my go so i shaved my goatee off and they called me up and they go hey have you shaved your goatee yet and i went yes <laughs> and they were like how long will it take you to grow it back <laughs> and I was like, uh, I said, I can have it back by Orlando. I said, they're all painted on. Yeah, they <laughs> painted on. So, so I, uh, I, I grew, I grew it back for Disney. So we didn't have time to make outfits. So I told Scotty to go buy a pair of white boots. I had a pair of black ones. I had a black and white sleeveless workout shirts I had, and I told him to bring his his, his jeans to Orlando. So we both had jeans. I had black boots. He had white boots. He had the white workout shirt. I had the black one. We put a little sequins on them at Disney. Disney put sequins on them. American males and sequins on the back of the workout shirts. And that was the first outfits of the American males. Wow. Oh, that's Good awesome. Man, huh? Yep. American uh, males was born. That, and so I, how good did that feel that you actually, like that was, so your, it was basically your concept. It was and totally it, my concept. Yeah. I even, I even named Riggs. I even named Scotty. Okay. You know, his name's Scott Antal. And I thought we got to think of a cool name for Riggs and lethal weapon was out. Ah, okay. yes. And Riggs, Riggs right, and Bertolt. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And Gibson was, Gibson was, you know, was Riggs. And right. I just, I, we all, but we liked that. I liked that name. I thought, what about Scotty Riggs? Mm, there you go. And everybody was like, that's it. Let's do it. So awesome. Scotty Riggs was born and American males were off and running. There you go. With the catchiest song ever. <laughs> <laughs> and i know the words to it <laughs> Who, whose idea was that one <laughs> jimmy hart oh really oh, okay well he comes jimmy up with hart some good wrote, songs 
He's very good. Jimmy Hart was, you know, he's got a great musician background, bro. Jimmy Hart's a big deal in music. Yeah. Wow. He's a big deal, bro. He's got a couple, he's got a couple number one hit stuff. He was in a big band and he did a lot of wrestlers music and he was a soul. He was the sole writer of the American male music. Really? Look at that. Oh, yeah. See Dropping that? some knowledge. Yeah. Yep. Knowledge being dropped. That's it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, the tag team world was a great thing for you. And then you ended up uh, joining the NWO. How was that? Yeah, what the, was the, the, the how tag, that come out? The, the tag team thing, right? Because I'm going to tell you, the tag yeah, yeah. team thing, why that came about was the, the tag team line was the tag team line was much shorter to start them. Oh, okay. That's what I saw. I saw this line for the World Heavyweight Championship. And I saw this line over here for the world tag team titles. And I'm thinking, what's the difference in being the best single wrestler and the best tag team? And I figured out not a damn thing. Mm. So why not be better in this short line than being better in that big long line over there? Yeah, right. So I focused on being great as a tag team wrestler. And I did become great at it. I became great at heat spots and hot tags and what to do during a tag team match to make it better because I was taught by the best. I was taught by Steve Austin's and, and Larry Zabisco's and Harry Taylor's and, 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 um, God, I mean, just stings and Luger's and, and Rip Rogers is, and just, George Souths and just all these great talent guys that um, um, Bobby Eaton, yeah. I mean, just, oh, just the super best. athletes, man. Rick Rudes, I mean, just great, great talents, man, yeah. that was, was feeding me information and making me better and better and better. And out of that, man, I became a great tag team wrestler, and it was just a lot of fun. I felt tag team, and I still do feel that tag team wrestling should be your best match on the card yeah 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 makes sense and, it, and in my, and on, my on, on my card it usually was and most entertaining mm-hmm. i think because i mean it, there's there's so many storylines between two two you know both teams they can have a storyline with each other and how they play off each other i i think tag team has always been one of my favorite uh th- things to watch and 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 matches to 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 watch and and really appreciate yeah it really is. And the main thing is you got to think with a regular tag team, there's five brains going on that have got to pull a match together. And that's tag team, tag team, yes. and a referee. referee. So when you put two managers in there, that's seven different brains that have got to come together yep. to make a great match. And, and all of my life, I've done, it, I've done it several times, but the one that sticks out with me that seven brains were involved was 1993 me and two cold Scorpio against um, uh, Nat, the nasty boys yeah. with Missy Hyde as their manager and Teddy long as ours. And it just was really one of the best tag team matches I've ever been in. Wow. It was a Halloween havoc in 1993. It, 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 actually, you, you mentioned Halloween havoc and I was actually, uh, you know, in reviewing this, this coming up, I, I think, and hopefully you could talk to it or, or what your opinion is. I think the WCW, honestly, during that period, had some of the best <clears throat> pay-per-view uh, events. You know, whether it was Halloween Havoc, Starcade, Starcade yeah. like Great American Bash, Bash. Beach, like the, those events were were by far, in my, in my own personal opinion, compared to other, you know, WWF and, and their stuff. I always gravitated to the WCW and and the type of wrestling. And, and entertainment that you guys did. And, and I mean, I, I don't know if you can talk, like, did you feel, how did you guys feel with the competition? Did you guys know that you had, cause I, I think you guys had a leg up on it. Um, unfortunately, you know, th- other things happened at the end, but I think you guys were really, really running away with it for a while. Um, I, at first, man, you know, we, we knew we had a, we felt like we had a better product. Yeah than the WWF we did. We just did. Um, but people didn't know. Yeah. I don't think people knew that we had a better product. And then like, I'd be on a golf course somewhere and guys would be asking me like, what do you guys do, man? You know? 
Yeah. And we never said we're pro wrestlers. <laughs> and we didn't, we try to dodge that question. You know, we try to dodge it because all I did was become a, an issue. Oh, that fake stuff or oh, yeah, something yeah. negative. Yeah. You know? So we try to dodge that question. And finally it'd be like, we pro wrestle. Okay. We wrestle. Yeah. You right, know, right. And they're like, you know, Oh, you mean the WWF? Yeah. And we're like, no, we're WCW. You're like WCW, WCW. They, so nobody really knew <clears throat> the WCW. Right. But at the same time, we did. We knew it, yeah. and we knew we were a good product. But we just wasn't. We just wasn't in that wheelhouse of being able to be powerful yet. And then, and then, you know, then WO happened. Yeah. And then, then things changed. Yeah. I definitely think that. I mean, that that was, I think, one of the greatest turning points ever. I mean, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. It couldn't happen that at a better whole, time. The contracts just lined up where Hall and Nash came over and then Hogan was all about turning heel, which I know there was a lot of speculation about that because Sting was ready to do it. But, uh, yeah, and yeah, we all but had how that came, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, how, how that how that came down was uh, there's only two guys that could have turned heel to make, a, to make it impressive, um, and that would have been Sting or Hogan. Right. And they went to Sting first. And said, "Look, you know, do you want to you want to turn heel?" And Sting turned it down. He said he didn't want to do it. <clears throat> and um, so Hogan was all about dropping the red and yellow and and doing the doing the black white thing. And um, and I think it was a good call. Either guy could have done it great, um, but it was it was the thing that Hogan did and not phenomenally. And, and it just worked out fantastic. And it was just a a big part of it was it was a big part of the of the company, the big part of my life. And it was just a it was just a great thing to have at a great time. Right, right. Yeah, you're like a rock star, man. Part of the NWO. That was that's as big as you could get at the time, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. For life. For life, baby. For life. So what, what kind of experiences you have in the NWO, like uh, personally? I mean, you guys must have – did you guys really hang out like you showed on TV or was it just kind of – Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it was it was a big deal. I mean, like I remember when I they, the night I joined was – in Salisbury, Maryland. And me and Scotty Riggs were at the top of the tag team game anyway. And I really was really blown away when they came at me because I just thought, you know, I'm doing the tag team thing and I got a good thing going with Scotty. And so, you know, there's no really reason to join the NWO. But so Kevin Nash came in our locker room and he was like, hey, Bagwell, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to come to NWO? And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> Hell Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, Scotty knew that it was a, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a depressing day for us because we knew I was going to the NWO, but it was one that you don't say no to, yeah, you know right, what I'm saying? Right. And so everybody understood what was going on. So that night was the night that Bischoff gave everybody 30 days to join the NWO or you're fired. Wow. And me and Scotty Riggs was the first one out of the gate. Yeah. Okay. We came down and I joined the NWO and I'm not sure what number I was. I th- I've been told I was like number seven. But you know, I know I was. I got in that ring, man, with all that, st- all those stars, and and just Nash and Hall and Hogan and X Pac and and the Giant was in there, and you know Virgil, and it was like, man, this is <laughs> this is huge, you know. Yeah. Virgil, this, this is where I this is where I belong, That's you it. know. That's right. And so I joined in, man, and instantly started doing things like you know the the top hat and the do rags and putting my name on the back of my shirt and just little things add to how cool we really were. Right. And it just, it was just one of the coolest things in the world, man, to be in the NWO. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Because you had some great matches, you know, especially <clears throat> when you and big Papa pump got together. That was, that oh, was yeah. awesome. Talk about cool. That was like the epitome of cool. Well, you got to realize I came off. I think what was going to be one of the biggest tag teams ever, which was vicious and delicious. delicious. Yeah. Scott Norton. And that was me and Scott Norton. Yep. But I broke my neck in one of me and Norton's first matches. Okay. It was me and Norton, Vicious and Delicious, versus Lex Luger and Rick Steiner in Columbia, South Carolina, April 22nd, 1998. And Rick came up with a bulldog, and I got paralyzed in that match. Mm. Um, I was paralyzed for like eight minutes, man. I mean, totally paralyzed. Wow. And it just was a freaky deal, but the medical the medical thing that actually came out of it was I bruised my spinal cord. Yeah. And when you bruise your spinal cord in, in the medical world, 
the swelling happens. And when it swells, you feel like you're totally paralyzed. And then when the swelling goes down, you can move again. But you don't know that. I'm paralyzed and think I'm paralyzed forever. Right. I mean, I literally couldn't move, you know. So um, even when Rick went to, if you ever watched that match over, when Steiner goes to roll me over, if you took a dead person that was laying on his stomach, a paralyzed person, a dead person, or a person that was passed out laying on his stomach, and you turn them over, their legs are going to cross 100% of the time. 100. And in that match, when he rolls me over, my legs are crossed just briefly because Virgil goes to slide me out of the ring. But if you look, when he first rolls me over, my legs are crossed. And that means I had no feeling in my legs at all. They just, they flop like that. Wow. And then Scotty was going to come in, hit Rick with a chair, put me on top of Rick. One, two, three, NWO wins. And um, he, Scotty hit him in the chair. I'm going crazy. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. And Scotty grabs my arm, puts it on Rick, but my arm goes back down. We're back to back. One, two, three. Who won? Who won, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it was confusion and nobody, but we didn't know what to do. There's no, there's no handbook on what you do when somebody gets paralyzed in the ring. <laughs> right, right. right. That's got to be scary. There wasn't no playbook. And your show was live, so that makes it a little tougher too, you know? Yeah. 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 So when Rick Steiner rolled me over, when I got to right here, I was like, I'm paralyzed. And Rick went, what? Like, his eyes got real big, but... <laughs> So Rick there, was, there ain't no plan B to go to, you know, right. there ain't no playbook on your wrist. Like, Oh, what do we do now? Right. <laughs> yeah. But Rick was hurt though. Yeah. Right? Go with it. Rick was hurt. Uh, Rick was hurt. Right. His left shoulder was real bad and nobody knew it because he didn't want to tell nobody because he, he didn't want to miss no time. And right. nobody wanted to miss any matches with nitros going on in thunders. So when he came off, he missed my head on the bulldog. And by missing my head, I was trying to catch up to the bulldog to make it look like a collision or to make it look better for live TV. Right. And as soon as he missed me and I started catching up to him, my face went to his back and my neck went that way. And when your neck goes that way, it ain't meant to go that way. Everybody's been told in your life to tuck your chin. Right. When you tuck your chin, it's real hard. to It's hard to break your neck, your neck going that way. It don't go far that way. Mm-hmm. So when it snapped that way, it was like, boom, it it made my uh, cervical disc at three, four, it hit my cord. And when it hit my cord, it stayed there, but it didn't sever it. It just hit it. And when it hit it, the swelling happened and that made you paralyzed. So for three hours, I was, I mean, I could move my fingers and toes, but for three hours, I was duct taped to a board. And I didn't know, I kept asking the guys, can I can move my fingers and my toes. Does that mean I'm paralyzed? And they were like, they wouldn't answer me. And I finally cussed them all out. And I said, somebody answer me. Yeah. And they go, well, we can't answer you because we don't know, man. We don't know if you're paralyzed or not. We don't give you the wrong information, man, because we don't know. So long story short, three hours later, they, the doctor comes in, takes the tape off me, goes, set up. And I said, what? <laughs> and he goes, sit up. And so I slowly start, I mean, think about it. Just, Three hours ago, bro, my life was over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was done. And three hours later, the doctor's telling me to set up. So I go to set up and kind of move my arms and, you know, flex. And I go, oh my God, what happened? He explains the bruising of the spinal cord to me. And the problem now is the bone is still there. So they got to go in and remove that bone and put a new one in plates and screws and in the neck at three, four and six, seven. So I'm medically fused at three, four and six, seven. Was that the scariest time of your pro wrestling career at that point? That was the scariest time of my life then and still now. Wow. Really? Yeah. It's incredible. No doubt. The feeling that went on in your head, bro, when you know, I knew I was paralyzed forever, buddy. Yeah. It was over. I mean, I'm talking, I'm getting, I'm trying to pep talk Scott Norton that's crying over me because I'm paralyzed. But even then I was strong enough to say, you know, Scott, I go, I can go to schools 
and I can talk to schools like Christopher Reeves because yeah. he was still alive. Yeah, right. And I said, I can go talk to schools like Christopher Reeves and, and I can, and I swear to Jesus Christ, Lord, my savior, I swear to you when I was saying that Danny young, our trainer said, your hands moving. Hmm. And I went, what? And I, I can't raise up and look. Cause I was paralyzed. I looked down with my eyes and I see my hand, my fingers kind of moving, but I can't feel it. Really? And I was like, but at that stage, I do kind of remember like hot water in my arm where it kind of went up and then it stopped at my shoulder. And then this arm came up and it stopped at my shoulder, leg, leg, but my torso wasn't back. Hmm. So on video, if you ever watch it, I'm laying there and I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my composure kind of, and I reach up and I go and I feel my chest and I can't feel it. Really? Wow. So I was like, God dang, I'm still not back. And about that time, they started taping me down to, to the board and the rest was just waiting until I got out of that CT, that CAT scan and the MRIs. Now that, that was scary as hell. Man. There was no uh, ill feelings or anything. That was just a, a freak accident, right? Like it was nothing, nobody's fault. No, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know? No ill will at all. It was totally an accident. Just, yeah, yeah. you know, we made a storyline out of it to say, you know, Rick broke my neck and, yeah, yeah. you know. Right, right. Six months later, I had to go to Bishop and go, bro. I mean, well, 10 months later, I came back to wrestling. Uh, I was back on TV in three months and I was back in the ring and buff bag will shape in 10 months. And my first match back was against Rick Steiner and Goldberg. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> and they wanted me to take the bulldog. Oh, jeez. I was like, I'm never doing the bulldog the rest of my life. guys. <laughs> Getting yeah, no kidding. So yeah. I took I, I I took the bulldog, but I took it face on. Okay. So I I turned to him and he bulldog he bulldogged me facing him. Yeah, and but I, did, I was not about to do it this way. Right. So I, I faced him and took the bump this way. But that was it was a scary. First of all, nobody loses their first match back from breaking their neck, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Go figure. So, yeah, go yeah. figure. So we have something good going here. Um, I just want to fast forward a little bit. When WWF purchased WCW, you had another little incident uh, during a training session with the rest of the w uh, WCW guys when you're trying to learn uh, the how to use the ring in WWF or WWE because I know it's a different size in WCW, and I know it yeah. was with uh, Shane Shane Helms, right? Could you yeah? Could you uh, elaborate on that story a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. We were, we were at school. Well, first of all, there was 12 guys hired out of that 12 guys. It was kind of known that the three big names were, were me, Dallas and Booker. Yeah. And then you had a lot of, a lot of great talent, but they were just, it was just kind of known that, that me and Booker and Dallas were the three main guys, you know, that was who they did something. That was who they were going to do something with first. And, uh, but there was nine other guys that were all like, Hugh Morris and Shane Helms and Billy Kidman's and um, Stasiak's and <clears throat> O'Hara's and Jindrak's. Um, I can't quite remember anybody else, but there was like nine or 10 other guys, you know, and <clears throat> we had the best workout we've had down there this day. And me and Shane, just, we didn't really, we, we're friends now, but we just really didn't, we didn't really get along. We didn't really ever hang out or anything. And there wasn't really heat between us. But there just wasn't friendship between us. And I remember that day at the school, we were all sitting in the ring talking about our good workout and everything. And then Shane kind of threw a little jab at me. And I was like, wow. I said, well, that's pretty tough talk from a guy that sat out today all day long. (laughs) And he goes, well, I was hurt. I was hurt. I go, oh, yeah. Aren't we all? (laughs) You know, and everybody kind of laughed and all that. And so finally he goes, well, at least I ain't losing my hair. And I went, wow. I go, you know what I can't wait for, Shane? He goes, what's that? I go, I can't wait for your first interview. I said, it should go something like this. Oh, boy. Hey, my name is Sugar Sane Helms, and I'm, <laughs> I'm the WWF champion of the world. <laughs> and the boys went, whoa. Because Shane had a little bit of a list. Yes, he yeah. did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I went, wow, I can't wait for that interview. <laughs> and the and the boys were like, whoa. And then he came back and said, well, at least I'm not a pillhead. Oh, geez. Now it's getting and I personal. said, okay. Fair. I said, 
I said, fair enough. I said, but let's do this. I said, let's drop this or I can just beat your fucking brains out. <laughs> How about that? And he said, take your best shot. And that's all I got out. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow. That's it. He, I was on the apron. I was on the apron standing on my feet on the floor. My elbows were on the apron. His head was right here on the bottom rope, like leaning on the rope. He said, take your best shot. And I went, wow. And it rolled him into the turnbuckle. And as <laughs> soon as it did, I went, God dang, Bagwell, there you go. Yep. You're, you're in trouble again, bro. And I went to walk off mad at myself and wham happened. <laughs> <laughs> he had an ice bottle. He had a water bottle frozen under his, under his shirt. That I didn't see. <laughs> he had a concealed weapon. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls it out from an ace bandage. I don't see any of this and walks up behind me and goes, wham in the back of the head. I don't know how I didn't go down because this kid hit me a ton. But blood was everywhere. And I and Fit Finley and Johnny A's come running over. And they see all this blood everywhere. And they're like, what happened? What happened, Bagel? And I can't remember. I mean, it was so fast, but I remember it pretty vividly that I remember everybody's eyes looking at me like, don't tell the truth, Bagel. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Don't, don't say it, man. Don't do it. And I went, I fell. And Johnny goes, you fell. <laughs> I go, I stepped out of the ring, man. And I slipped and I fell. And I remember everybody's eyes like relieved, like, Oh, thank God. Bagwell. <laughs> thank God. you didn't. Thank God. You didn't tell on us, you know, cause none of us are supposed to be there. We all were lucky to even be there. Right. So, Shane Helms would probably never admit this. And I don't care, but he was in the bathroom with me, holding the towel on my head, squalling like a baby because he had hit the golden child. Yeah. He had hurt Buck Bagwell, man. Right. And so he was like, please, man, don't tell on me, please, please. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm like, I said, it's my fault, bro. I'm the one that hits you. It's my fault. Yeah. You know, I said, that's completely my fault. I'm sorry. And don't worry about it. So I didn't tell him a word. I didn't tell him a thing. I flew home with a gash in my head. Me and Jindrak Jen, is the only witness to this. Jindrak helped me get a, a, a something over my head to stop the bleeding, well, to slow it down. And I got a ball cap on, and I got on the airplane trying to let it take off before they could see it bleeding. And then I landed, went straight to my own doctor. WWF didn't pay a dime for this. I didn't want no heat. So I was going to pay for it myself. Nobody had to know and let it go. I go to my own doctor. I get 25 staples in my head. They have to cauterize your head because your head bleeds profusely because there's so many veins in your head. And they had to cauterize it, get it stopped bleeding. And then they, they sewed me up and all that. <clears throat> so I go back to the next TV, which is the, <clears throat> which is the day um, that me and Booker wrestled. And I remember seeing, um, um, the first person I saw when I walked in was Shane Helms and he's walking with the Hardy boys. And keep in mind, I still have not told the truth of this story. So when I walk in the gym, when I walk in the building in Seattle and I was in Tacoma and I walk in and Shane Helms, I go, I go, Hey Shane, he don't say, Hey back. Oh shit. And this ain't my first rodeo either, you know? So right. I go straight to Johnny Ace and I go, we got to talk. So the Hardy boys didn't talk to me and Shane didn't talk to me. So I knew right there that he, the heat was on me. Right. So I get Johnny. I tell him exactly what happened. He gets all 12 guys together. Dog cusses us out, makes us all because Johnny didn't have Johnny Ace didn't have a job either. And so he cussed all of us out and we all had to shake hands and make up and all that. Me and Booker wrestle. And we knew something was wrong with that because why would we want to wrestle the first match of the invasion when in when a week from now it's, it's in Atlanta, you know, right. yeah, that's we, didn't, we, yeah. we didn't understand. Right. Yeah. Kind of silly, but again, nobody's going to say, Hey Vince, that's crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're, we're, we're going to do the match of course. And then we go out, we get booed out of the building. 
nobody wanted to see it. And then they told me right before I went to the ring, they said, Shane McMahon goes, I forgot to tell you, but you can't look in the cameras. That's a gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> I said, what? I said, Shane, that's all I do. <laughs> I said, I look in the cameras, I pose and I laugh. That's all I do. Right. He goes, you can't do it or you're fired. Oh God. Wow. So play that. Look at a couple of Buff Bagwell matches upcoming to that wrestle wrestle uh, WWF match. Yeah. And you'll see more Bagwell going the ring and going going to the camera going, look at me, I'm buff, I'm the stuff. <laughs> and you'll see me at the WWF come out going. <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> I mean, the camera's right here, and I'm going. It's like, get out of my face. I ain't about <laughs> looking at that camera. Right. And I was I was off my game. I wasn't buff. I wasn't the, you know, look at the camera. Look at me. I'm ripped. <laughs> right. I was scared to death. So I was off my game, and we had a we had a shitty match. And again, you don't fire her a buff Bagwell. For having a bad match. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a five-time world tag team champion, man. You may say, hey, hey, bro, if you don't tighten it up, you're fired. Right. And the second rumor was that my mother called. Okay. Say she did. Do you fire Buff Bagel for that? Yeah. Hey, mother, don't call no more. But neither one was presented as a warning. I got fired for supposedly those reasons, but why would you fire Buff Bagwell in Atlanta, Georgia, over a bad match, right. over your mother calling? That was the rumors, but <clears throat> for whatever reason, I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was a combination. I don't know, but I was never told what it was. Mm. Never to this day. To this day. Okay. Wow. To this day, Crazy. it was never shame. It was never drugs. It was never. Keep in mind. A pro wrestler getting fired for slapping somebody—that'd be a first. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, uh, somebody, somebody getting fired because their mother called—I guess that would be a first. And then somebody getting fired for a bad match—they better fire twenty-five people from this past Monday. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of bad matches on there. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so just really weird, really, really weird deal. But I tell you this. How I look at it is, is I was the sacrificial lamb and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. That locker room was divided, brother. And when I got fired in Atlanta, they were like, nobody's safe. Right. If Buff Bagwell just got fired in Atlanta, bro, nobody is safe. So that locker room cleaned up. There was no more division in that locker room. It was a team and nobody else wanted to be fired. Yeah. You were the scapegoat at that point. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, the reason why I was asking about that story and uh, when you broke your neck and things of that nature is bringing it to a bigger picture. And I know there's a lot of other stuff we could talk about, WCW, you and Luger, you and Big Papa Pump teaming up, you know, some big matches you had. But uh, I know that that was – I'm sure those major injuries, you know, put you on a a bad course. And uh, and turn that bad course ended up making you having bad decisions and so forth. But now everything's turned around for you. You seem to be yeah. doing pretty good. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? What happened? What the bad? A little bit of bad, and what great stuff came out of it? Yeah. With DDP, and yeah, things I, of that I sure. Yeah, yeah, I sure can, man. I, um, you know, the pill, the pill thing, pain pills, and and somas, and drinking, and marijuana, and that stuff's been in, around athletes for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Until I really got hurt in 1988, it wasn't that big a deal. Um, I finally remember getting my own prescription, and that's when it started going south, was when you got your own pills. I had my own container, my own bottle of Lortabs, and my own bottle of Somas. Mm. And that's when it became, I was hurt. It's okay that my because my neck is broke. I'm okay to take pills because I'm I'm supposed to take pills because I'm injured. Right. And that sec that that gap there is the difference of making bad decisions or good decisions. And and mine was making bad because it just 
I was told that I was hurt and this is the medication I needed. I was not told what it would be like if I did this medication bad and tried to stop. I wasn't told all the bad stuff. I was told this is okay to take because you're hurt. Right. And I just didn't have the right, you know, the right lessons on what I had in my hands. I didn't have, I didn't have the bad part of what I had in my hands. I had just the good part. And so when I learned, you know, that, that you could, you know, do these, these pills and feel a certain way, then it became a reward system for me. And I, and I used that for years and I can't lie. My reward system time of using my pills to reward me for looking the way I looked in the gym, it worked great for three or four years. Hmm. And that was, I would make myself, I didn't drink a beer or take a pill until 6 p.m. in the day. And that was like my day was complete. My workout was over with. I've gotten everything done. I, nothing I was supposed to get done. I trained, I tanned, I had. My old chain was in my car. My house was spotless. My motorcycles were clean. I had, it was time now to so-called smoke a cigarette. Yep. And my smoking a cigarette was taking a few somas and having a few beers. Yep. And it was harmless, but it got to be a vicious cycle. And it just two turns to four, four turns to eight and eight turns to 40. 40. And that's what happens. And it just, it's crazy. And even thinking back on it now, it's like, how did I even take that many? But I did. And I was, and I functioned. I functioned like that, but I don't know how. And I did. And it finally got the best of me. And, but then WCW was like a leash. And that leash kept me, kept me sober. Yeah. But then WCW went away and the WWF went gone. And that leash was off. And that leash being gone is when my problems started. And I was good and I was bad and I was good and I was bad. But finally, you know, I got bad. And it was this last go around when I had my car wreck. 2020, I ran through a building in Atlanta, Georgia, in a Marta bus station bathroom. And and I, I was I was in the driver's seat, but I wasn't there. Oh. And um, and it was from Xanax's and drinking. And I, um, you know, like I said, I was in the driver's seat, but I wasn't there and could have gone to prison forever for killing somebody. I went to a Marta bus station bathroom at five o'clock in the afternoon and nobody was in it. So just pure luck. Somebody wasn't in it. Pure luck. I didn't kill myself. Um, so this go around, man, it was just, it was just brutal. And I blew my, my knee is still hurt from it. I'm getting a, getting a knee replacement within the next month. But at that time, my knee, my patellar tendon exploded and the surgery they did on it didn't go well. And I got staff and it was all during COVID, which is the worst time in the world to get hurt. So just bad, bad doctors and, you know, bad service for, you know, bad, uh, bad, uh, you know, just it wasn't a good time to get hurt because it wasn't medical care was just everywhere. Right. Horrible. Absolutely horrible time. Now, I thought it'd be a good time to be hurt. That way I could get back healthy by the time COVID was over and I'd be up and running. Right. And instead I didn't do anything and failed during COVID. And then when COVID was over, I started trying to get better. Yeah. So it was just too late and it just, it just backfired on me and then enter me starting to drink cause I was depressed and I drinking had never been a problem for me. <clears throat> it was just pills, but this time drinking really took me over. And I was drinking in Xanaxes. Yeah. So I went to, I went to uh, rehab in the North Georgia, uh, North Georgia in a place called Blackberry recovery. And um, <clears throat> it was the best rehab I've ever been to. I've been to four rehabs previously. And I thought rehab was 30 days and day 31, you're clean, you're sober and everything's fine. And that could not be more of not true. Right. Um, 30 days is not enough to get clean. And I just didn't know that this go around. I learned about aftercare, which is a big high percentage of people that make it and really stay clean. They go further than 30 days. And what they ask for is 120. Mm. So it's four months. They ask for 30 days at rehab and they ask for 90 days of an aftercare, which is a total of 120 days. 
And that's exactly what I did. I did 30 days at Black Bear. And I did 90 days in a place called Tangu in Marietta, Georgia, and graduated both of them, which leads me up to today being clean six and a half months. Wow. Congra- yeah, congratulations. That's great. Now, speak to the – the because the, I think there's been a few constant support and 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 how how that's definitely helped. I mean, I'm assuming that's helped you and really get through those 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 people that were there that weren't wavering, and they're probably still there, right? Oh yeah, DDP. Uh, Dallas came at me. My my niece had got back into my life after years. I raised my niece as her. I was I was her uncle, but really I raised her like a daughter. Yeah. Um. So we were really tight, and we had drifted apart a little bit. Uh, with everything and um but she got back into my life and at a time where i was really bad and so um i um you know she her in dallas and a guy named steve Yu, which is dallas's business partner they um they got together and realized i was really doing really bad and i shot a i was shooting a show with dallas's team called change or die mm. and it's the show that we filmed here at the crib um and it was five people, Butterbean, myself, and three other people, just normal, you know, people that had problems of weight or addiction problems or right. a combination of both. And it was a, a show, a reality show called Change or Die. And it's a show that y'all will see that's coming out. And in that show, I tried to clean up and I was trying to get my knee fixed. So I was doing the hyperbaric chamber beds and really trying to go see doctors and just trying to get a hold of this thing. And I was traveling on the weekends and trying to do that, you know, trying to do that. And I kind of relapsed during the shooting of the show and they kicked me out of the, they kicked me out of the program. I'm out of the show because I, um, I relapsed and the show will show all this and it's a great show. It's a great show. Um, that'll be great that everybody to see and it's everything's videoed and it's just a really it's a really, really great thing you guys are going to see, but it's all on camera and all happens in front of the camera. But after that, I, Dallas and my niece did an intervention on me and basically said, look, you got to go to rehab or they were out of my life. Yeah. And I, of course, I said, yes, I will go. And I went to the Black Bear for the 30 and then 90 at Tangu and me and Dallas couldn't be tighter. Me and my niece could not be any closer. And my life could not be better off than it is right now. Excellent. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing story. And that's, uh, you know, part of what we have you here as our guest, our esteemed guest today. Never stop getting it. You epitomize that model for us of, of never stop getting it because of everything you've been through, not only in your pro wrestling career, but uh, after that, what you've done for your life uh, is is really, you know, that's an example for anyone else, and that's why we wanted to showcase that here today on the episode. So thank you so much for, for being here today. Oh, man, I love it. I love it so much, bro. I love it. All right, Buff. I mean, if you guys don't have anything else, we've been doing this over an hour here, and I think I – Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm really <laughs> – I mean, great, great yes, stories. Yes. Uh, again, like, we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, just everything about your life, where you came from, where what you've done, where you you know where you are today. Um, this is this is all great stuff. So thank you so much for for being a guest oh, here man. with us today. I, did I love ask, it. I did want to ask one question. I I wanted to hit it on. So the boxing, and I I'm a big boxing fan as well. So you did incorporate that in your in your wrestling. Oh, um, at one point, did you not? You boxed, I believe, Roddy Piper. Yeah. And how did that go? How, how was you know Roddy, was, Roddy? Roddy was Roddy was really tough. I don't know if y'all okay. know that, but Roddy Piper was a badass. <laughs> okay, and uh, but yeah, he um he uh, actually we had a good boxing match, but I hit him with a blockbuster at the end, so <laughs> I got a big deal with Piper. But did he yeah. have boxing actual boxing skills? Oh yeah, I mean Piper was really good. I mean we we were like practicing in the back and stuff, and we knew. Yeah. You know, we were going to, it wasn't going to be like pulling punches. Right. We had gloves on, you know, so it was like a real fight. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Cool. That is that's awesome. And, and, and the story, the storyline, the storyline was he had something on his gloves that made my, got in my eyes and mm-hmm. he had hot stuff on his gloves, which burned my eyes. And so we did, we did a little storyline with it, but it was really, 
the punches were there, and oh, okay. it was a lot of fun with Roddy. It was a really good match. My mom was my manager. <laughs> That's okay. awesome. So kind of like when Hogan had uh, uh, some hot, icy hot or something on on his armpit with yes. uh, Goldberg. Yeah, <laughs> got it exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. That's great. That's great. Well, we yeah. so we did leave a lot of stories open, so we're definitely going to have you back on again. You know, I get a lot bro, of wrestling I love stories. Anytime, man. Oh, that's Anytime, fantastic. Bro. I love this stuff, and I love talking about my life. And I'm, a, I'm the, what, what makes my stories. Uh, good, bro. Is they're they're the truth, genuine. Right. Yes, uh, right. I, I they're genuine. The they're good, honest. The good and, and the bad, and they're the truth. Yeah. yeah. And as you can't, you can't, you can't beat up the facts, man. You just right. can't. Right. And I deliver the facts. It's people may people may like it, people may not like it, but it's the facts. Right. And I'm an open book when it comes to that. I don't hide what's happened to me. I don't try to cover it. I don't try to make it a bit better or worse. I just deliver the facts and let everybody decide on their own what they want to do with them. All right, right, Buff, before I let you go, I do need you to give my wife a shout-out, Sarah, so if you don't mind. Oh, (laughs) jeez. She's a huge Buff Bagwell fan. Hey, Sarah, what's up? As you can see, do not adjust adjust your screen because I am still this good-looking. I am Buff. I am the stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, Buff. You have said that you are good looking probably, I think I counted like 12 times <laughs> so far during this interview. That's all? <laughs> <laughs> That's it? Yeah. Well, maybe a few more. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Yeah. I'm good looking. I'm good looking. I'm good looking. I'm good looking. Uh, yeah, we 16. Go. Yeah. Fit him in there. We appreciate Great. you Great. And, and good luck in everything, you know, the ups and the downs. We know you, you're going to keep moving forward and we appreciate you and, and good luck with whatever thing that you got going on. Do you have anything that you want to promote? Yes, absolutely. Something going on? Anything? The bet. I, I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at the next big thing I got is WrestleCon at the end of the month. I'm okay. going to be at WrestleMania at WrestleCon okay. um, at the Biltmore there in LA. I'm also going to um, to see Cody win the belt at the WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. what? What? You heard it here first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did I say that? Yes, yes. yes. It's time what for somebody else. <laughs> That's perfect. You ever what up? Do I know? You ever up in Massachusetts? Let us know. Yes, absolutely. I, go to. I was gonna say the. I was gonna uh, tell you guys. Anybody that's listening in, and you guys, MarcusBuffBagwell.com. Okay. MarcusBuffBagwell.com. If you go there, it's my website. That tells you. That takes you to all my platforms, all my all my socials, and it just gives you everything that's out there on me. And also catch. It also got a calendar there that tells what I'm doing and where I'm going. I got a lot of stuff going on and just just um just excited about the motivational speaks speaking engagements I got and a lot of signings and wrestle cons and comic cons and all kind of stuff. So Excellent. just uh, check it out, MarcusBuffBagel.com and always check up on me and know where I'm at. But man, thanks you, thank you guys so much and thanks the fans for sticking with me like they always have, man. I just it just means this business means the world to me and I just have always, always respected all my fans and they know that and i just love them so much i love you guys for having me on your show man all right buff great thank you buff never stop getting it buff we'll talk to you later thank you so much thank you for joining us on another episode of the never stop getting it podcast and join the community on facebook never stop getting it and twitter at never stop getting it and of course never stop getting it.com 